Chapter Eleven of Ormond by Maria Edgeworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Our young hero, hero like, took a solitary walk to indulge his feelings, and as he rambled, he railed to his heart's content against Dora. Here all my plans of happiness and improvement are again overturned. Dora cannot improve me, can give me no motive for making myself anything better than what I am. Polish my manners? No, when she has such rude, odious manners herself. Much changed for the worse, a hundred times more agreeable when she was a child. Lost to me she is every way. No longer my playfellow, no chance of her being my friend her good father hoped she would be a sister to me very sorry i should be to have such a sister then i am to consider her as a married woman pretty wife she will make i am convinced she cares no more for that man she is going to marry than i do marrying merely to be married to manage her own affairs and have her own way so childish or marrying merely to get an establishment so base how women and such young creatures can bring themselves to make these venal matches i protest peggy sheridan's worth a hundred of such moriarty may think himself a happy fellow susie jenny anybody only with dress and manner a little different is full as good in reality i question whether they'd give themselves without liking to any white connel in their own rank at the first offer for a few sheep or a cow or to have their own way such was the summing up of the topics of invective which during a two hours walk had come round and round continually in ormond's indignant fancy he went plucking off the hawthorn blossoms in his path till at one desperate tug that he gave to a branch which crossed his way he opened to a bank that sloped down to the lake at a little distance below him he saw old sheila sitting under a tree rocking herself backwards and forwards while dora stood motionless opposite to her with her hand covering her eyes and her head drooping they neither of them saw ormond and he walked on pursuing his own path it led close behind the hedge to the place where they were so close that the sounds willastrue willastrue from old sheila in her funereal tone reached his ear and then the words oh my heart's darling so young to be a sacrifice but what next did he say ormond's curiosity was strongly excited but he was too honourable to listen or to equivocate with conscience so to warn them that some one was within hearing he began to whistle clear and strong both the old woman and the young lady started murder cried sheila it's harry ormond oh did he overhear anything or all think ye not i answered ormond leaping over the hedge directly and standing firm before them i overheard nothing i heard only your last words sheila you spoke so loud i could not help it they are as safe with me as with yourself but don't speak so loud another time if you are talking secrets and whatever you do never suspect me of listening i am incapable of that or any other baseness 
so saying he turned his back and was preparing to vault over the hedge again when he heard dora in a soft low voice say i never suspected you harry of that or any other baseness thank you dora said he turning with some emotion thank you dora for this first this only kind word you've said to me since you came home looking at her earnestly as he approached nearer he saw the traces of tears and an air of dejection in her countenance which turned all his anger to pity and tenderness in an instant with a soothing tone he said forgive my unseasonable reproach i was wrong i see you are not as much to blame as i thought you were to blame cried dora and pray how and why and for what did you think me to blame sir the impossibility of explanation the impropriety of what he had said flashed suddenly on his mind and in a few moments a rapid succession of ideas followed was dora to blame for obeying her father for being ready to marry the man to whom her father had destined promised her hand and was he harry ormond the adopted child the trusted friend of the family to suggest to the daughter the idea of rebelling against her father's will or disputing the propriety of his choice Armand's imagination took a rapid flight on Dora's side of the question, and he finished with the conviction that she was a sacrifice, a martyr, and a miracle of perfection. "'Blame you, Dora!' cried he. "'Blame you? No, I admire, I esteem, I respect you. Did I say that I blamed you? I did not know what I said, or what I meant.' and are you sure you know any better what you say or what you mean now said dora the altered look and tone of tartness in which this question was asked produced as sudden a change in harry's conviction he hesitatingly answered i am he is said sheila confidently i did not ask your opinion sheila i can judge for myself said dora your words tell me one thing sir and your looks another said she turning to ormond which am i to believe pray oh believe the young man anyway sure said sheila silence speaks best for him best against him in my opinion said dora dora will you hear me ormond began no sir i will not interrupted dora what's the use of hearing or listening to a man who does not by the confession of his own eyes and his own tongue know two minutes together what he means or mean two minutes together the same thing a woman might as well listen to a fool or a madman too harsh too severe dora said he too true too sincere perhaps you mean since i am allowed dora to speak to you as a brother who allowed you sir interrupted dora your father dora my father cannot shall not nobody but nature can make any man my brother nobody but myself shall allow any man to call himself my brother i am sorry i presumed so far miss o'shane i was only going to offer one word of advice 
i want no advice i will take none from you sir you shall have none madam henceforward from harry ormond tis well sir come away sheila oh wait dear ah i am too old said sheila groaning as she rose slowly i'm too slow entirely for these quick passions passions cried dora growing scarlet and pale in an instant what do you mean by passions sheila i mean changes said sheila changes dear i am ready now where's my stick thank you master harry only i say i can't change my quarters and march so quick as you dear well well lean on me said dora impatiently don't hurry poor sheila no necessity to hurry away from me said ormond who had stood for a few moments like one transfixed tis for me to go and i will go as fast and as far as you please dora away from you and for ever for ever said dora what do you mean away from the black islands he can't mean that said sheila why not did not i leave castle hermitage at a moment's warning warning nonsense cried dora lean on him sheila he has frightened you lean on him can't you sure he's better than your stick warning where did you find that pretty word is harry ormond then turned footman harry ormond and a minute ago she would not let me miss o'shane i shall not forget myself again amuse yourself with being as capricious as you please but not at my expense little as you think of me i am not to be made your butt or your dupe therefore i must seriously beg at once that i may know whether you wish me to stay or to go to stay to be sure when my father invites you would you expose me to his displeasure you know he can't bear to be contradicted and you know that he asked you to stay and live here but without exposing you to any displeasure i can replied ormond contrive contrive nothing at all do leave me to contrive for myself i don't mean to say leave me you take up one's words so quickly and are so passionate mr ormond if you would have me understand you dora explain how you wish me to live with you lord bless me what a fuss the man makes about living with one one would think it was the most difficult thing in the world can't you live on like anybody else there's my aunt in the hedgerow walk all alone i must go and take care of her i leave you to take care of sheila you know you were always very good-natured when we were children dora went off quick as lightning and what to make of her ormond did not well know was it mere childishness or affectation or coquetry no the real tears and real expression of look and word forbade each of these suppositions one other cause for her conduct might have been suggested by a vain man harry ormond was not a vain man but a little fluttering delight was just beginning to play round his head when sheila leaning heavily on his arm as they ascended the bank reminded him of her existence my poor old sheila said he 
are you not tired not now thanks to your arm master harry dear that was always good to me not now i am not a whit tired now i see all right again between my childer and happy i was these five minutes past watchin you smilin to yourself and i don't doubt but all the world will smile on ye yet if it was my world it should but i can only wish you my best wish which i did long ago may you live to wonder at your own good luck ermine looked as if he was going to ask some question that interested him much but it ended by wondering what o'clock it was sheila wondered at him for thinking what the hour was when she was talking of miss dora after a silence which brought them to the chicken-yard door where sheila was to quit his arm she leaned heavily again the marriage that they're all talking of in the kitchen and everywhere through the country miss dora's marriage with white connell is reprieved for the season she axed time till she'd be seventeen very reasonable so it's to be in october if we all live till those days in the same mind lord he knows i know nothing at all about it but i thank you kindly mr harry and wish you well anyway did you ever happen to see the bridegroom that is to be never harry longed to hear what she longed to say but he did not deem it prudent he did not think it honourable to let her enter on this topic the prudential consideration might have been conquered by curiosity but the honourable repugnance to obtaining second-hand information and encouraging improper confidence prevailed he deposited sheila safe on her stone bench at the chicken-yard door and much against her will he left her before she had told or hinted to him all she did know and all she did not know the flattering delight that played about our young hero's head had increased was increasing and ought to be diminished of this he was sensible it should never come near his heart of that he was determined he would exactly follow the letter and spirit of his benefactor's commands he would always consider dora as a married woman but the prospect of there being some temptation and some struggle was infinitely agreeable to our young hero it would give him something to do something to think of something to feel it was much in favour of his resolution that dora really was not at all the kind of woman he had pictured to himself either as amiable or charming she was not in the least like his last patterns of heroines or any of his approved imaginations of the beau ideal but she was an exceedingly pretty girl she was the only very pretty and tolerably accomplished girl immediately near him a dangerous propinquity End of chapter eleven